3: Terms and conditions apply. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish
2: This is the best of OutKick, the coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio.
4: I was looking around uh, last night. I went to go see the, uh, I took a little bit of break from dominating the media cycle, just kind of driving every story. And I went to go see it last night. I think a lot of you probably have gone to see it because it's making all sorts of money. And I'm going to be honest with you. I had a couple nightmares last night. Difficult to sleep. I don't remember the last time that I watched a movie and later that night, like I remember, I think it was Paranormal Activity 3, something like that. Um, I uh, I slept with the lights on and like the door open and uh, and and I was legitimately a little bit scared. I think it was Paranormal Activity 3. This is the first time since then that I've seen a movie that scary. And, uh, and i thought, man, this is pretty good. Now, it's not anywhere near as good as Stranger Things. For instance, which is I think maybe the most entertaining show that's been exclusive to Netflix, and I've watched a lot of those shows, whether it's Narcos, whether it's House of Cards, uh, a lot of different Netflix shows over the years. But I think the single most entertaining was the was Stranger Things, and what was amazing about that is, and they did a good job of this as well in in uh, in the new It movie was making the 1980s seem incredibly nostalgic. If you're my age, and I'm 38, you grew up, and a lot of the old school shows that they would put on were like 1960s shows, the Wonder Years. You know, it was your parents' ages of nostalgia, and so they really enjoyed watching a show like that because it reminded them of being kids. There haven't been a ton of those shows so far, but this is one that was set, I think, in 1988, 1989, A lot of New Kids on the Block references. Uh, They played for one long, uh, long scene, Young MC's Bust a Move, which uh, anybody could remember who had been in that era. Have you guys seen this, Danny G and, and Justin? Have you guys seen the new It movie yet?
5: No, no, we want to. I know because Justin was talking to me about this just the other day, but neither of us have got the time yet to go see it. I
4: don't get out to movies very often. I try to go out on Wednesday nights when I can, especially during football season with my wife, because it's really kind of the only day where it's totally dead. Because, you know, Monday night, you got Monday night football to watch. Thursday, obviously, we got a big game tonight going on between the Texans and the Bengals. And I say big game because there have only been, I believe, 10 teams. Since 2006, that have started off 0 and 2 and made the playoffs, but we try to get out on Wednesday nights to go see, uh, to go do something, go to dinner. First of all, you can get in everywhere because Thursday starts to get popular again. But by Wednesday, in the middle of the week, it's like it's it's like an island. Of, there's no thing, nothing around it. So even if it's a popular movie, you can get in, you can go watch it. Uh, without any difficulty at all. And so uh, I, I, I was like, when I mean, we don't get out to movies very often. Like the movies that I've seen this this summer is still counting now as the summer, I guess, even though it's not the summer. I saw Despicable Me 3. I saw the Emoji movie. And I saw some other kids' movie that I can't <laughs> even remember right total now. Oh, dad, total
5: dad list.
4: Yeah, Cars 3. And then I saw Dunkirk. So I don't, like, I used to be, yeah, total dad movie list. It used to be when the Oscars would come out, I would have seen every movie, and I'd be like, oh, no, this movie was better than that one. Now it's rare when the Oscars come out that I've seen, like, more than one, but when they have the animated uh, award, I'm like, oh, I've seen all 10 of those, right? Um, But, yeah, so total dad movie list. I've seen Despicable Me 3 this summer. I've seen uh, Cars 3, and I've seen the Emoji movie and Dunkirk, and now I'm adding in It. I used to see every movie that ever came out. Now I'm kind of reduced to watching pretty much everything on television – And so uh, that was in and of itself really cool, I thought. So early endorsement for me on the movie It. But my favorite part, again, was the nostalgia factor from it being 1989 and 1988 throughout that movie. And I was thinking about that because the Bengals are playing tonight. And I was like, man, the Bengals have been bad for so bad. I feel like they get overshadowed in their awfulness by the Browns. If the Bengals were in any other state, people would talk about how bad Cincinnati has been in football all the time. But I feel like the ineptitude and awfulness of the Browns helps to camouflage and disguise how bad the Bengals have been over the last, my entire life, honestly. I'm old enough to remember the Icky Woods Super Bowl. But other than that, look this up. When's the last time that the Bengals actually won a playoff game? Is it like – it's in the 90s, isn't it, that they last won a playoff game? And again, because the Browns have been so bad, everybody forgets how bad the Bengals were. So the Bengals started this season so incredibly awful. Four interceptions from Andy Dalton. They get shut out at home by Joe Flacco, who hurt his back and hasn't even been playing football for basically a month and he wasn't even very good. He was awful, and they still got shut out. And now we've got the Texans, which are maybe as much, if not more, of a dysfunctional franchise than the Bengals, going on the road to play against them in a Thursday night contest that nobody really wants to watch, but also nobody can really look away from. I'm oddly intrigued to see what's going to happen in this game because you got Deshaun Watson now, and Tom Savage got a one-half The Tom Savage era in Houston lasted one half. So Deshaun Watson is now the starter going on the road. I don't think he's going to play well. I think the Bengals might actually win this game by double digits. But if they do, it's pretty wild to think about this. In the last decade, my guy Jason McIntyre over at the Big Lead, he also hosts a show here on Fox Sports Radio on the weekend. He went through this, and it's actually pretty interesting. Since 2006, Only 10 NFL teams have started 0-2 and made the playoffs. Meanwhile, 77 teams that started 0-2 did not make the playoffs. So basically, if you start 0-2, your odds... And it sounds crazy because it's a 16-week season. But if you start 0-2, your odds of making the playoffs are minuscule. As much as you may think, oh, it's a 16-game season... We've got time to recover. It's no big deal. And that's pretty wild to think about in and of itself. And several of the teams, this won't surprise you either, that started off 0-2 also ended up winning their divisions because their divisions were crap at 9-7 and or 8-8. and So that's really not the equivalent of winning, making the playoffs. It's just you happen to be in a division where everybody was crappy. So maybe the Texans are safe here because I'm trying to think which team – has more at stake tonight in this game. And I think the more I contemplate it, it has to be the Bengals because they're playing both these games at home and they're also in a really pretty good division. So you know that the Bengals probably are not going to win the AFC North, but they do probably have to get really to, what, 10 or 11 wins to get a wild card berth. That's probably where you need to shoot for. probably ten. If you're out there right now and you're thinking, okay, what what do we feel pretty good about making a wild card? Probably need to get to at least ten wins. Well, if you start off 0-2, simple math will tell you, from that point forward, you have to be kind of on a roll. I mean, you have to finish the rest of the season ten and four. got to win ten out of fourteen games. That's not easy to do. So, meanwhile, the Texans, I feel like eight and eight or nine and seven may win the AFC South. Who knows when Andrew Luck is going to eventually come back. The Titans didn't look very good against the Raiders. Now, maybe that'll change this weekend against the Jags. Does anybody believe in Blake Bortles? I mean, we're talking about four starting quarterbacks right now in the AFC South. Scott Tolzien, Blake Bortles, Deshaun Watson, who has never started a game before in the NFL, and Marcus Mariota. The reason why I picked the Titans to win the AFC South is because everybody else is so freaking awful. So let's bring in uh, the crew here. I'll get your opinions. Who actually has more at stake here? I'm on Bengals. I think the Bengals absolutely have to win, but you could argue that the Texans had higher expectations coming into this season because of all the talent they have on defense and the belief that all they need is just a quarterback who's somewhat decent to win this division. So starting off 0-2, your odds of making the playoffs are like 10%. I mean, they d- dive in a heartbeat. Only 10 of the last 87 teams to start zero and two have made the nfl playoffs so who has more at stake the Bengals, who have started off their first two games at home and have a proven quarterback in some sense of the word in andy dalton or the texans who have a really talented team surrounding their quarterback but have not seemed to have a quarterback basically throughout the whole bill o'brien era who you got boys uh danny g and justin
0: well clay this is justin here um I think you're right, and for, and for, you know for all the reasons. I think it's the Bengals that have more at stake, and for all the reasons that you said, plus a couple other ones. First of all, I looked it up for you. Uh, 1990 was their last playoff win.
4: Aren't you in agreement with me that if the Bengals were in any other state, they would get so much more attention? But the ineptitude and awfulness of the Cleveland Browns overshadows how bad the Bengals have been. I give you a bad Brown stat: the winningest quarterback. Since 1999 in the Cleveland Browns home football stadium, since they came back as 1999 when they came back, like when they started their new franchise all over again when they expanded after they left after the franchise left to go to Baltimore and by the way win a title there, the winningest quarterback in the Browns football stadium is Ben Roethlisberger. The Pittsburgh Steeler quarterback has won more games inside the Browns new stadium built in 1999 than any Browns quarterback has. That's an unbelievable statistic. So I think how bad the Browns is has overshadowed how completely inept the Bengals are. I mean, does that make sense? I think if they weren't both in Ohio, I think if the Bengals were somewhere else, we would talk more about how bad they've been.
0: Right, and I think that's that's why they have more on the line tomorrow is because they've got a somewhat established quarterback. Andy Dalton's going into his seventh year as the quarterback of the Bengals. And he's yet to win a playoff game. I mean, there, he went f- for a stretch. He, they made the playoffs for five years in a row, but lost the wild card every single time. Yes. And so I imagine at this, and what Marvin Lewis has been there for 40 years now. So <laughs> I, I, I imagine at some point, if if you're starting off the season 0 and 2, and you're now now your playoff chances are are like you know minuscule. It's got to be a certain point where you're fed up with it, right? And it's- I
4: think Paul Brown has basically just decided, the owner, Paul Brown Jr., whatever his name is, uh, I think he's the a, a third or the second or whatever he is, that he doesn't care about, like, firing Marvin Lewis. No,
5: he, I- he's given him a scholarship, like yeah, a lifetime basically. achievement yeah. award. And so, Clay, that's why I'm going to say the Texans, because Bill O'Brien and the Texans completely dropped the ball on the whole Osweiler thing. And so the quarterback situation there, you're wasting – the one of the best wide receivers in the league in DeAndre Hopkins.
4: At some point, he's going to flip out, right? Oh, yeah, he's just going to sure. go public and be like, "I can't stay here with all the incompetence that's going on." I know he's being paid well, but it has to be frustrating to be surrounded by that much incompetence at the quarterback position. And to be fair, Bill O'Brien has this reputation as being a quarterback guru, and everybody that he's brought in has stunk.
5: Yeah, and 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 so that and that defense. Got them to the playoffs. So, all we've been hearing, well, they're just missing a couple of pieces on offense. So, I feel like the heat is on Bill O'Brien right now. In talking to Houston Texan fans, they are losing their patience with Bill O'Brien. Be sure to catch live editions of
2: Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Ladies and gentlemen... I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls... I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying time's
3: here.
6: I had a bullet constrictor stuck to my face. And you have a what?
2: This is Animal Thunderdome.
4: Justin, do you want to take it first? You said you've got audio, or I can start. You know what? I'll start it. I'll start it because we well, got a bunch of audio from you. Uh, so this happened down on the beach in Florida, which is a place that you definitely think I'd probably be safe from a bear, but you were wrong. My second home, place that I love more than any other, down on 30A, it's in between Destin, if you've been to Florida, between Destin and Panama City Beach. It's the first documented bear attack in Walton County history. At about 9 p.m., a nine-year-old boy Was taking his dog out for a walk when, out of nowhere, they stepped off the porch of their home. They heard rustling in the woods, and next thing you know, there's a huge black bear charging him, the dog, and the little boy. The dog and the bear fought. The guy ran back inside the house, grabbed a pellet gun, and shot the bear. And then the dog was dragged. a A pellet gun? Yes, aggressive play. Shot him with the pellet gun. The bear drug the dog into the woods. And that's when the bear came up onto, then he came back, came up onto the porch, and they had to respond and they took the bear down. But do you think, like, to me, there are a couple of things, like, you think when you're on the beach, I might be in danger from a shark, maybe a jellyfish something associated with the water if you are on the beach you are thinking man the only real danger i have to worry about here is whatever might be in the water this is a game changer if animals are now coming at us from two directions right you never want to get into a two-fronted war ask hitler try to advance against the russians and simultaneously be trying to fight the americans and allies in the opposite direction that ain't a good play well, most of us, when we sit at the ocean, they just stare out at the water and we think, okay, got to be aware of sharks, got to be aware of jellyfish, things like that. This, to me, is an unbelievable front for the animals to open up. Now you got to think about if you're on the beach that a bear could get you. I mean, are you not with me? If you got attacked by a bear on the beach, that would be like the worst luck ever, right?
0: It sounds like Florida is kind of a, a death zone now. You got to worry that about Florida- crocodiles, bears sharks
4: pythons like every animal that can live lives in florida now and i gotta tell you i also feel the same way about snakes don't you feel like if you got bitten by a snake on a beach it would be like unfair for the snake to be there are snakes not on beaches as much as they are other places does that make sense or am i an idiot
0: i mean there's i don't know do you see snakes come out like towards the the shore uh what is a know. sea snake? <laughs> there, yeah, there's sea snakes. There's snakes in the in the ocean, like that just swim. They don't live in the ocean. I don't. I don't know. That's a I good don't question. think there's
4: very many snakes in the. If I got bitten by a snake in the ocean, I would be really upset. I don't. I think you're wrong on that. I don't think that snakes are in the ocean very much. We'll Doesn't have, that seem unfair? Like no, if you're yeah. out swimming and you just got bitten by a snake in the water, like you'd be like that in the ocean. Hydro I'm not talking about like a lake or a river where a snake might be like coming across. But, like, in the ocean, that would be awful luck, it seems like to me.
0: Hydrophinae, commonly known as sea snakes or coral reef snakes.
4: But do they actually live?
5: I mean, they, 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 that's like a snake yeah, they're, that they're, lives they're in, in the They're in the water. Rocks. Yeah, I don't think they would be up on the sand.
4: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you are on the sand, you would think, like, and in a similar fashion. Am I wrong in this? Do people agree with me that if you got attacked by a bear on the beach or a snake on the beach, yeah, that unfair. would be, like, yeah, it's, like, unfair because you're worried about the shark. And then it's a two-fronted war. So when I hear this story, it's the first bear attack. First of all, I don't, I don't think most people even think that there are bears in, like, if you go to Destin or Panama City Beach or in between where, I, where I've got a place now on 30A, you definitely don't think, like, oh, my God, there should be bears here, right? I just think that's—I think that's an unfair attack from, like, a sneak attack. It's the Pearl Harbor of animal attacks if you got hit by a bear on the beach or, like, a, a rattlesnake. If you got bitten by a rattlesnake, literally on the sand on the beach, that doesn't seem fair to me. You got to fight fair, animals, and that's not—that's not a fair fight.
0: All right, Clay. So, here's a story. Here, this is this is a real story. At least six hurt in Lake Vista area squirrel attacks. Where? Where is Lake Vista? It is. Uh, it's. I believe it is near New Orleans. That's where this. Uh, this new story is coming out of New Orleans. Okay. So. This is accompanied with a, uh, a local television news report. It's some pretty good audio here. Check it out.
4: Here's some of the squirrels in question. After our first report last night, the city's rodent control took swift action. Paul Murphy joins us live in Lake Vista with our follow-up tonight. Paul?
7: Todd, Karen, I think it's safe to say that lake vista neighbors are breathing a sigh of relief tonight now that three suspected squirrel offenders are behind bars this as the toll of people who say they were attacked by the furry rodent rises to at least six we are now learning a man and his 90 year old mother may have been the first two attacked by aggressive squirrels in the lake vista neighborhood that brings the number of victims in this series of unprovoked wildlife <laughs> encounters to at least an even half dozen. Ivan Herner said a squirrel minutes. seemed he, he, to just tail him and his mother during their morning stroll on Sunday. It didn't seem like it was crazy or rabid or anything. It just walked real slowly and it followed us, you know, like dogs or cats do down the lane. Herner caught what happened next on cell phone video. The squirrel's gonna come climb up my leg here I don't think I want him to do that, though. Herner managed to fight off the squirrel, which then jumped on his mother.
6: <laughs>
5: <laughs> if there was not audio attached to that story, I would never have believed it.
6: The,
4: the 90-year-old woman. First of all, squirrels. we got to pl- like, open up phone lines, 877-996-6369. Do you have to question every decision you've ever made in life if you're the local news guy who is out there covering the squirrel attack? <laughs> I mean, think about that. You're like, they're do- doling out the assignments at the local news studio. And then, first of all, I would love to have the, the squirrel attack, but this guy is treating it so seriously. It's like he's reporting on, I, I don't know, you know, it's it's like he's reporting on on the war in Iraq. I mean, you know, we got we, we got a random squirrel that jumped on somebody. That woman, the old woman screaming is, by the way, maybe my favorite audio since the woman got attacked by the snake.
2: Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific.
4: We rarely, if ever, talk about baseball regular season on this show, and that's because, look, I'm not an anti-baseball guy. I know a lot of you care about baseball, but just because the regular season is so long and so boring, and by and large, it really doesn't matter. And I don't mean that in like a, you know, your sports sucks manner. I mean, by and large, you're going to win 60, you're going to win 60 baseball games. You're going to lose 60 baseball games It's what you do with the other 40 that actually matters. So it's hard to get actually that worked up. Uh, what I thought was interesting, though, is I'm going to make the argument here that the Indians going 21 and 0 is actually an undercovered sports story right now. Just because of the history of it and how unbelievable it is, relatively speaking, and I don't know if you guys have some of these stats in front of you right now, but I'm looking at a bunch of stats about the Indians going 21 and 0, and the statistics on it are just flat out unbelievable. Like even if you're not a baseball guy, this is like what they're doing now is one of the most remarkable things we've ever seen. Here's here's some here's some context on what the Indians have done. They've only trailed four innings in the entire 21-game run. Okay, I don't know what the math is because I'm always bad at doing math, but that is roughly 190 basically innings if I'm not screwing the math up too bad there. They've only trailed in four of those innings. I mean, think about how wild that is. In addition to winning 21 in a row, they haven't even trailed for one full game during that process. They've been in the lead 94. 8% 8% of the time, whatever the math is that. The, and moreover, they have not just barely won these games. They've only needed three one-run victories. They've won by an average of almost five runs a game. And this is pretty pretty wild. I mean, just when you think about contextually all of this stuff, do you guys have the years, like how long yeah. it's been since something like this has happened in baseball?
5: Yeah, Cleveland tied the 1935 Cubs yesterday with 21 straight. They're only chasing the 1916 New York baseball Giants now. The Giants won 26 straight. Now, that Giants win streak, Clay, includes a little bit of a quirk. They had a one-to-one tie that was rained out after nine innings. Some people think that that game was made up in a doubleheader the following day, but the the next two games were actually separate games. So there's a tie that was, like, right in the middle of that 26-game win streak. But for some reason – Baseball historians still consider it a twenty-six game win streak.
4: So we got a controversy there, but yeah. I mean that puts into perspective. So, the, and that was in what year? Nineteen sixteen.
5: Nineteen sixteen.
4: So if they win, so twenty-six is the record. They're at twenty-one, and if they win to get to twenty-two, then how many? Like how many teams are between them and the greatest of all time right now? Is it just them and and the night?
5: Like that's it. Not, yeah, the nineteen sixteen New York baseball Giants have the record.
4: I mean, that's pretty crazy, right? I mean, are you guys with me that this is a story that is probably being underplayed relative to how incredible this is?
5: A little bit because you got to figure it's not like they need to get to 40 or some crazy number like that. They're only a few games away. So, I mean, yesterday, but but at the same time, I I had – uh, my TV on as soon as I woke up yesterday, and they cut into live programming and started following the the Indians game once it got to, like, the seventh inning. It reminded me of that year Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa were hitting all those home runs.
4: Yeah, you know what's interesting about it is, I like I said, I rarely, if ever, pay attention to the regular season in baseball, but I have been checking the past several games, and I don't care about the Indians one way or the other. But the past several games, I've been finding myself pulling up the score, you know, the ESPN score app that I go into just to check and see what the scores are and whatnot of games if I'm not watching them. Like last night, I was I I said that I went to go see the movie It because my wife and I try to go out on Wednesday nights because it's really kind of the most quiet day of the sports week especially during football season when there's games going on all the time. Wednesday kind of slows down a little bit a lot of uh, a lot of the time. But I was checking my phone to see whether or not the Indians were going to get to 21. And I'll be checking again tonight. I'm assuming who are they playing tonight? I mean, they've got to be favored. I mean, the, the amount of money that somebody has made over winning 21 in a row is pretty extraordinary. But to me like again, this is this is a pretty unbelievable story happening. That isn't getting that much attention, and I guess maybe I like if this had happened in August or if this had happened in July, it would have been a massive story because there's nothing else going on. I think football just kind of comes in and bigfoot's baseball, even during the the playoffs. Like we're going to talk more about the NFL and college football than we are uh, baseball. So this is the kind of story that for baseball would have gotten a lot more attention in May, June, July or August than it's going to get in September as we move towards the end of the month and everybody's paying attention to what's going on. But didn't LeBron James have something to say about this? Even LeBron weighed in, uh, I, I think, and had uh, he, and had some comments. I yeah, he,
5: he did. It's about a minute long, and he's kind of jumping on the, the Indians bandwagon a little bit. Because remember, LeBron James grew up a big Yankees fan.
4: Right. Oh yeah, I remember him. Didn't he get in trouble because he went to like people in Cleveland Correct. ripped him because yeah. he went to a uh, Indians game while wearing the uh, uh the Yankees gear. I definitely remember that. Let's uh let's listen to
1: what LeBron had to say about this. Yo, what up y'all, man? There's no way I can let another day go by without shouting out the home team Cleveland Indians 21 game winning streak. What y'all doing right now? Keep it going. I was about to say it's incredible, but I want to I want to come back and do another video when y'all got like a 40 game winning streak. No pressure, no pressure. I get it. I've had my own 27 game winning streak in the NBA before. It's a lot of pressure winning every night, man. But what y'all doing, inspiring the youth, showing you know the rest of the MLB what it's about, man. To come back after a devastating loss, you know what I'm saying in the in the, um, in, the in the championship rounds, man. So, you know. Big shout out, man, for y'all to come back the way y'all playing right now. From what happened in the World Series, so commendable. Keep it going, Cleveland Pride, man. The land, the Cleveland Windians is what y'all name gonna be soon. So I might want to trade. I might want to trademark that so I can sell a couple T-shirts or some. Put uh, Francisco Lindor, uh, Lindor's name on it. Hey, Cisco, I need one of those jerseys ASAP. But uh, nah, man. For real, congratulations, man. Y'all keep going, all right. And uh, I'll be to the ballpark and see y'all soon. So the Indians. I
4: mean, this would be an interesting story, obviously, as the Dodgers. I mean, how nervous are you guys right now? And the reason why, obviously, we're talking a little bit of baseball. We're going to talk to John Morosi, who's the expert on baseball here, as we do every single Thursday, an hour or two. How nervous are you guys, while we're talking about the Indians on a roll, how nervous are you guys in L.A. about the collapse of the Dodgers?
5: Well, it seems like the Dodgers actually turned a corner in San Francisco, Clay, because – Going into San Francisco, Dodger fans were super worried on that 11-game losing streak, but they actually won the series in San Francisco. That's the first time the Dodgers have won a series in San Francisco since 2013, 2014, I think. So usually when the Dodgers go into the city of San Francisco, especially late in the season, the Giants always go get all the way up to play against their rivals, the Dodgers. So for the Dodgers to bounce back the way they did and win two in a row – it, they're pitching all of a sudden with uh, Kershaw and Hugh Darvish uh, last night. Suddenly, things look like they're starting to fall back in place for the Dodgers. They, they had six hits yesterday, and all of them were extra base hits. I, I think it was like four doubles and two triples. So, suddenly, a home run from Bellinger, it was. So, suddenly, the Dodgers' bats have come alive, and they're starting pitching turned around. So... If they can continue what they did in San Francisco, then they could get healthy going into the playoffs.
4: Uh, you know, what's funny is I was watching the movie last night, and, and we talked a little bit about in the open how it's set in 1988. Uh, in the fall of 1988 is when it starts, I believe. And I was thinking, oh, yeah, this is the Dodgers year. Now we got, got it back in time, 1988, um, when, the, uh, when the Dodgers last won the uh, World Series.
2: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app.
4: We bring in now John Morosi as the lead-in and John we were just talking about this on the show how I feel like if anything this 21 game win streak is being underplayed nationally but it's something that I, as a guy who doesn't care that much about regular season baseball, find myself checking my phone to see whether or not it's continuing. Do you agree with me that it's a pretty remarkable achievement that isn't necessarily getting as much attention as you would anticipate?
6: Well, Clay, it's, it's a great question. And I think even in Cleveland, uh, it was maybe this week when things really uh, got their proper placement in terms of the importance of this. Uh, the crowd on Monday night was about 18,000. Uh, but the last two days, they're the largest two walk-ups of the year. Uh, I think more than 5,000 fans just bought a ticket yesterday for a noon game. Uh, and I was there. It was a remarkable couple days. And uh, I, I do think certainly it's the start of football season, there's a lot going on right now. Uh, I, think, I think for all of us this time of year with kids getting back to school, uh, for many of us. But uh, but this is a story that transcends, uh, I think, so many things in our in our lives and and. In our sports world, this is a uh, this is an American League record. The American League has been around since 1900, and at no point in time in, in those 117 years have we seen a team uh, win 21 games in a row or more. And this is this is history, and it's happening, Clay, at a time when, in so many ways, the game is more competitive than it's ever been. Uh, whether you want to call it parity, uh, but you're seeing, I think, top to bottom. The strength of the league, I think, is as great as it's ever been. And, and you've got uh, all of the best players, uh, not all of the best players, but most of the best players in the world are in Major League Baseball, which was not true uh, back in 1935. The sport was still still 12 years before being integrated at that point in time. So so we barely had the best players in the U.S., let alone the world. So uh, it, it was a really, uh, I think it's a fascinating bit of history and, and something that the Indians and their fans ought to be very, very proud of.
4: One of the most remarkable things about this run is that they've only trailed for four innings in these twenty-one games. In other words, it's not like they've had a ton of walk-off situations. It's not like they've won a bunch of games late. Is they're at twenty-one? It's hard to forecast in baseball. But do you feel like as they make a run potentially towards this twenty-six-game win streak, that every day this gets this story gets exponentially bigger? Like if if, if they get to twenty-four. Is this something where the casual fan starts to pay attention?
6: I think so, Clay, and I I think we're there. When you've got an American League record, uh, when you have surpassed the 2002 Oakland A's about whom there was a movie made, uh, I think that you're in pretty rarefied air uh, about where you're at as a franchise and what this team has done. And the stat that you mentioned, Clay, is the one that I've come back to a number of times, uh, that, that, that they've trailed four innings in 21 games at the end of four innings that is and you saw yesterday's game uh they fall behind the top of the first and then all of a sudden it's mere moments later jay bruce puts them ahead to stay with a three-run home in the bottom of the first so so they didn't even actually trail after an inning yesterday either it was just for a for a brief moment in time at the half inning break that's how dominant they are and and when i was speaking afterward with Tyler Olson was one of the younger, uh, new members of that bullpen, um, he was just marveling at the fact that uh, whenever we're down, whenever that rare moment happens, you just know that it's a matter of time before he put up the next nice crooked number and that was in the, in the bottom of the very same inning uh, that that created. And uh, you look, too, they've, they've scored first now, I guess, 19 of the 21 times. Uh, they have more home runs, Clay, than runs allowed Think about that during that time, time period, and actually over a, over a streak of this many games, a winning streak of uh, even 19 plus games. This is by far the best run differential. So uh, you could argue that uh, very plainly when you when you group in the run differential, when you group it as I mentioned, that uh, now we have an integrated sport that's got uh, that has a uh, really a talent base that goes all around the world. That there's never been a more impressive streak by any team in the history of baseball than what you're seeing right now
4: all right so all of that is great are they now the favorites to win the world series
6: well Clay and that's a great question an important one for the Cleveland because of course it's been since 1948 uh that they last won the world series uh I do believe they are I know it's easy for me to say right now it's easy for everyone to say just like, just as it was easy a month ago to praise the Dodgers but what's unique about the Indians is a couple things. Number one, their starting rotation is giving them excellent length every single game. And their rotation during this during this run has been remarkable in its consistency, um, the, the length they're giving, the quality they're giving. So that, to me, the rotation, that is not going to dissipate. Now, they may have a clunker tonight, and, and it may end, but the... the the essential strength of their rotation is is there, and, and I don't believe it will change between now and the end of the postseason. They're also going to get Andrew Miller back, uh, who was so dominant last year in the playoffs. He is due to return this evening, and, and their rotation, Clay, uh, the, the uh, lineup, rather, is deeper and better than it was uh, last year. Uh, I think you saw them get to game seven in extra innings, uh, but since then they have added Edwin Encarnacion, Jose Ramirez is a much better player. He's a he's a, a much more complete player, MVP candidate. So uh, I think in so many ways this is a better team than what they had last year, which I think is frightening for everyone else in the American League and really across Major League Baseball right now.
4: We're talking to John Morosi, so I'm curious in general. Then we talked about the Indians. You said a month ago you would have said the Dodgers. How much trouble in the Do- are the Dodgers in? How much of this is flukish? It's been since 88, since they won the World Series. People in L.A. were very optimistic, and now it seems like a lot of people have hit the panic button. Fair or foul that Dodger fans should be panicked?
6: Uh, I think panic is too strong a word, Clay. I, I do. I think a concern is is fair. Certainly, they've lost a, a lot of games in a row here lately, although uh, you know, better this week in San Francisco for the Dodgers. Uh, to me, the, the concerns are twofold. Number one, U Darvish and he was better last night, which is a good indication for them. Uh, Darvish's inconsistency has been a real concern for them and, and really I think portends a, a degree of anxiety about the way the rotation sets up because he, Clay, he is the difference maker. We, we talked after the trade deadline when they acquired you, Darvish. I, I was very bullish on them because of, of the real value he gives them alongside Clayton Gershaw to lessen the burden. Uh, that has not really been the case so far, but Last night was a better sign for Darvish. I I think he has a chance to still be a quality two for them. And also the return of Corey Seager. It was not an accident, Clay, that the the Dodgers really started to struggle once their all-world shortstop, Corey Seager, landed on the DL last month. He is back now, a much better indication for them. Uh, So I I would say the way they're playing right now um, is certainly a concern. But if you're going to tell me that Darvish is back to being himself, and Seager is back to being himself. They still have an excellent chance to reach the World Series.
4: We talked a little bit about Stanton's pursuit of the Roger Maris record. When you think about that, I, I think the story is still pretty fascinating. Although obviously he's going to have to hit a bunch of home runs to get right to the right to the, the the rough area. I read a big story about him in the New York Times discussing it. Do you get the sense that your average baseball fan considers? the Maris and the McGuire and the Sosa home run derby of the late 90s, early 2000 era to be basically tossed out the window and that Roger Maris is the default home run champ in Major League Baseball still?
6: Clay, I believe it's half and half uh, or something close to it because, um, and I'm certainly sensitive to those that, that put their faith in Bonds' number or, or at least believe it to be legitimate, Um, And I give it I give Barry Bonds, uh, I think, as I mentioned to you before, I vote for him for the Hall of Fame because I view the totality of his career as being Hall of Fame worthy. But I also think that the standard, if I'm going to say whether it's John Carl Stanton or anyone else, what is the fairest standard to hold them to for a single season? Is it is it the 61 and 61 that that survived for for nearly a, a a half century or? Is it this aberration of numbers from Stanton, McGuire, and Sosa that were all achieved in in a very narrow amount of time in, in a historically questioned era? I, I think it's a question of fairness. Uh, and, and to me, the question of fairness is what is the fair standard to which we ought to hold John Carlos Stanton? Uh, and I think that fair standard is 61. I, I think there are a fair number of fans that agree with me, but I also think that there are those that say, hey, Whatever the record book says is what the record book says. If it says Bonds, then Bonds is the record holder. Um, and and I'm, I'm sensitive to that perspective, and, and I give it my, my respect as well. But for me, and I think for, for a great many others, uh, I, and I, again, I think it's probably about half and half, I think that that 61 number is, is the special one right now, still in Major League Baseball. He
4: may get 60. Nobody else is going to be within probably 14 or 15 home runs of him, which is something you don't see very often. Is his performance sliding a little bit under the radar relative to the fact that we just kind of got used to so many home runs being hit? Because I'm looking at the numbers right now. He's got 54. Only one other player right now in Major League Baseball has 40, and that's Aaron Judge, who has 41. I mean, the gap between him and everybody else is not quite Babe Ruthian, obviously. But it's still a pretty substantial gap. It seems like he's playing by a different set of rules almost.
6: He, he has been phenomenal play, and, and I do believe he's been a little underreported, uh, underrecognized. Uh, I think MLB Network had a note, uh, a number, I think it was last week, um, and, and forgive me for not remembering the year exactly, but I think it was. it's only happened twice before, I believe, where a player got 50 before anyone else got 40. And that's what happened with Stan. And that, that just, to your point, just underscores that. And it's interesting because we're at a time where home runs uh, are at a, collectively at a record pace. We're seeing more of them than ever before, but they're more concentrated uh, at the lower end of that home run spectrum, if you will. We're not seeing that that outlier uh, as much as we are w- with Stanton, who was who who doing something truly extraordinary. So uh, I do think he's been a bit underreported nationally on this. I'll be really curious to see how all of the, the networks handle uh, Stan's pursuit of, uh, of 61. Uh, as we get closer, does it become a, a major American sports story or, or does collectively the, the, uh, the networks and the, and the major papers, do they, do they say, hey, well, bonds is the record, so I'm not going to uh, really invest money and invest uh, a time and effort in covering something that's not the quote-unquote record. I think it's a, it's a fascinating discussion. And and to me, uh, Stanton, I believe, um, is is someone who who does deserve that level of coverage and uh, and our legitimate uh, praise, I believe, for what he has done. But uh, I think we have just had to see how things unfold in in the coming days for the sports world and and just how important and prominent uh, the chase ends up being.
4: Good stuff. I'll leave you with this. We're talking to John Morosi. Uh, how much joy did you get from Ohio State losing to Oklahoma? Be honest. <laughs>
6: Well, uh, I, I shot in Friday would be the word, right? Clay, yes. where we t- where there's a certain degree of joy in the, uh, misfortunes of others. I, I would say this. I, I think in, in the big 10, I, I'm, I'm, uh, as a big 10 guy, I do, uh, often, uh, set, uh, those partisan rooting interests aside and, and, and you want to see the conference do well in, in the non-conference games, especially the big ones, because of what it means, uh, for the overall profile of the conference. But, uh, I suppose I'll say this, Clay, as, as someone from Michigan, it is, always a, it is always a challenge to feel any amount of sorrow uh, when the Buckeyes lose.
4: Indeed. I appreciate the time, my man. We'll talk to you next week. My pleasure, Clay. Thanks so much to you.
2: Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific.
4: Asking an interesting question. To what extent does your speech... On Twitter or Facebook reflect upon your company. I am a First Amendment absolutist. That gets people upset because most people say only that they argue for the First Amendment when somebody is speaking and they agree with them. In other words, easy analogy for you. Colin Kaepernick's protest on the football field has been a major flashpoint in the world of sports. The vast majority of people out there who are saying he deserves to have his First Amendment rights, would not say the same thing if Colin Kaepernick were protesting, let's say, gay marriage being legal. Right? If Colin Kaepernick last season, instead of protesting police violence, if he had started taking a knee because he believed that gay marriage shouldn't be legal, everybody out there, by and large, defending him now would not be defending him saying, that gay people shouldn't be able to get married. In fact, they would actually be saying, there's no way this guy deserves to play for the San Francisco 49ers. The NFL shouldn't allow him to play football. That is not uncommon in America today. Most of the people who beat the First Amendment drum beat it only when someone is saying something that they agree with. I do something different. I'm a First Amendment absolutist. So I want more speech all the time. If you listen to this show, I open up phone lines and let people just tee off on me and say I'm racist. Why do I do that? Because one, I know I'm not racist. And two, I think that allowing more voices to talk on any subject is always better than less. And so I'm willing to take whatever people want to say about me as part of the overall marketplace of ideas. I had a professor in law school, and I skipped a lot of his classes, but i got to give him credit. That was his overall theory, that the cure for speech you don't like is not to try and stop that speech from happening, as is occurring on all sorts of college campuses all over this country. It is to allow more people to speak. In other words, if you hate what someone says, don't try to get them to stop talking. Talk louder yourself. And in the marketplace of ideas, if you have better ideas than they do, then you will win. That's why my position in general is not, oh, that person is racist or sexist or homophobic or whatever the argument you want to make is. I don't agree with shutting them up. So when Kurt Schilling got fired by ESPN because he said the transgender bathroom bill in North Carolina he disagreed with, which I would bet about half the people listening to this show are on the same side as Kurt Schilling there. I thought it was incredibly dumb for ESPN to fire him. And I wrote that. And I said, when you fire somebody for something that they say in their private life, even though they work at a public company, you are essentially in some way infringing on their ability to express themselves publicly. Now, People get confused and they say, oh, the First Amendment. What about the First Amendment? The First Amendment only applies to the government. So, any private company can react to what you say in your private life and fire you for it. That's 100% permissible. So, you have freedom of speech, but what you don't have is freedom from consequences. But what I am most fascinated by in this whole story are two issues. One when did it become commonplace that in this modern social media era, your speech had to agree with the speech that the company that employs you? Why does ESPN think it's important that Kurt Schilling have the same opinion on a transgender bathroom bill as they do? I think that's actually pretty scary because major corporations are oftentimes more powerful than state entities these days. In other words, would you rather be the CEO of Amazon or the governor of North Dakota which one has more power and secondly when a company decides to fire people for political beliefs sometimes like with Kurt Schilling and not do anything at all for somebody like Jamel Hill effectively the company is saying you can say whatever you want so long as you agree with us
2: oh, oh, oh.
3: If you dare.